Simple Beep, Episode 17, Fun Utilities for the Classic Mac. Hello, and welcome back to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And this week, we're going to have a more lighthearted show. Last episode, we talked about Mist, which is sort of a environmental ambiance type of game that's a little bit more serious with a serious storyline. And Brian, you've played some additional Mist since we spoke last time. Yes, I was uh, inspired by recording our episode to download the most recent version of Mist that uh, is out there, which is the Real Mist Masterpiece Edition. It's available in the Mac App Store for modern platforms, of course, at the low, low price of $17.99. And uh, I have a 13-inch MacBook Air of a, that's a couple years old, and it meets the minimum requirements, but is not <laughs> does not meet the recommended requirements. And uh, playing the real mist on whatever settings it automatically decided uh, made my fans go faster and harder than I had ever heard on this machine before. But the results were worth it. It looked uh, it looked really good, like moving through a pretty realistic world in real time. I say, I say, go for it. <laughs> cool, and I guess that means that Mist, true to its its history, is still pushing the envelope in terms of what the computers can do, because it's cranking on your relatively new hardware with the Masterpiece Edition. One other piece of feedback that we wanted to get through is that. Uh, we've received some excellent feedback on recent episodes, including some great reviews on the iTunes store. And we wanted to thank one listener in particular for leaving us a really nice review on the iTunes store. So this is by Dave Tatch. And he writes, from the moment I first heard about Simple Beep, I thought it was a great idea. The hosts, Brian and Ed, deliver on the promise. They're knowledgeable, personable, and the show improves with every episode. And speaking as someone who used Macs in the 90s, Simple Beep strikes the right balance of nostalgia, discussion, and information without ever being melodramatic. Really great stuff. So thank you, Dave. That's really kind words about the show, and we're glad that you enjoy it, and we do try to improve every episode. Yes, thank you very much. And of course, if you're thinking the same thing, we really do love to hear that feedback. You know, people say, oh, it's great to get the star ratings and the reviews in iTunes because it really helps promote the show, and it does. But we really just appreciate it on a personal level to hear uh, such great things and that people are really enjoying the show. And one other thing that you can do is also even easier than going and writing an iTunes review is if you're listening in Overcast, there's a feature in Overcast where you can recommend episodes, and then those get pushed out to people that follow you on Twitter if they've enabled that feature in the app. And it's super simple. You're probably two taps away from it right now. Uh, if you just bring up the little info sheet uh, about this episode, there's a button that says recommend, and that's all you got to do. For now, on to the content of this episode, fun utilities on the classic Mac. We figured we would start with utilities that uh, played on some some visual tricks on your Mac. And uh, longtime listeners of our show will remember that early on, we dedicated two episodes to Kaleidoscope, which was about customizing the appearance of your Mac. Uh, these utilities were more about, I would say, decorating than actually truly customizing it, whether for 
productivity reasons or personality reasons. Exactly. With Kaleidoscope, there was both a serious and a lighthearted side and sometimes a ridiculous side. Whereas all of the things that we're looking at today, we've got we've got 10 picks that we're going to go through. And every single one of them is basically just for the purpose of entertainment. Some of them are things that people installed and left on all the time because despite the fact they were entertaining, but they weren't disruptive, while some of them were definitely right in your face and you would want to turn off as soon as you were done with getting your entertainment value out of them. But the first one is something that was installed on lots of Macs that I saw growing up as a kid. Yeah, it's the eyeballs extension. Um, Very simply, it's a pair of eyeballs in your menu bar and the pupils follow your cursor around the screen. Uh, So as we record this, it's uh, the week after WWDC. Apple has previewed uh, the next version of OS X, which is El Capitan. And uh, the first feature they demoed was the if you do the little shake your mouse or wiggle on your trackpad, it'll expand the cursor to help you find it. So if this eyeballs extension had any utility, it was to help you find your cursor on the screen. But back in the days of the nine inch black and white screen, I don't even know if it was at 640 by 480 yet. That wasn't too much of a problem. Uh, I think this was really purely for entertainment to have eyeballs that uh, would wiggle if you moved your mouse really quickly and follow you across the screen. Or if you brought your mouse up to between them, you can make them cross-eyed. I know I did this very often. And uh, they would blink every once in a while. And that was basically it for the eyeballs extension. I think in some versions, they would blink whenever you clicked the mouse. Yeah, that sounds right. So you could press and hold, and they would close the eyes for a long time. And also, if the mouse just went idle, so if you were, you know, say, typing a document and weren't moving the mouse around at all after maybe some timeout, you know, 30 seconds or something, then they would sort of go to sleep and stop watching you. But as soon as you move the mouse, they would be back watching your every every movement. And they started out black and white, just very simple uh, white circles with uh, solid black pupils in the middle. But over time, uh, it, like I'd said, this was a much beloved extension, uh, probably spread through like user groups and... FTP servers, uh, as was the custom back in the day. And eventually they became full color. And uh, we'll put links to whatever we can find in the show notes. Uh, I wasn't able to find a link to the like very original black and white version, but there's still a color version on the Macintosh Garden. And it looks like you can customize the colors. So if you want to have some creepy looking eyes, you can do that. <laughs> uh, and then this is one of the utilities we're going to talk about today that made it all the way to OS 10. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's a version in the Mac App Store right now. There's a version that you can run outside of the developer sandbox, if that's more your speed. And we'll provide links to all of these in the show notes. Uh, one thing I, I don't like about these new ones is that at least one of them, the eyeballs kind of adapted to be the glass bubble style of early OS 10, the aqua style. And that's just too much. I liked my eyeballs simple. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm, I'm, I might have to try one of these OS X versions and see how it plays with Bartender. Oh, yeah. Because that could, that could be a real conflict there. There's also at least one project on GitHub where uh, these 
eyeballs have been recreated, I think, in JavaScript. So you could even drop the famous menu bar eyeballs onto your personal website if you so choose. Yeah, I think this is a, you know, a classic fun trope of any sort of any cursor based computer system is that, hey, have something, follow the cursor. Um, there's that one website where uh, you click anywhere on the page and then it loads up an image of someone, like a photo of someone pointing to that spot. This, that's always good for a laugh. The next uh, pick that we have, this is one that I picked out. It's called Insanity. And this is apparently a pretty early Mac I don't know. Utility, I think, is the wrong word that we're going to use throughout this show. A little, uh, a little Mac application program. It was originally released in 1992 and was distributed on 800K floppies. So it was an early Mac app. Uh, and what Insanity let you do was it gave you an arsenal of weaponry ranging from weapons like firearms all the way to all sorts of things like uh, cannons that would shoot bugs or bird poop or anything. And you were given control over this weapon and you could just completely obliterate your screen. So you would, when you had the, when you had insanity running, all you would do is click or click and drag, you'd get sound effects and you would get these images of blowing holes in your desktop, right through icons, menu bar, other windows and of course, it was all a layer on top, so that when you were done having your insanity, you could go back to normalcy and erase all of your destruction or mess. I had never heard of this when uh, I was using a Mac back in those days. So I went to the the page of screenshots that we'll put in the show notes, and it looks like there one of the options was um, like Ed mentioned cannons. You can shoot like a human cannonball and he leaves a blood spattered uh like lower half of his body on your screen. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty simple app, you know, there's they've got a whole bunch of sprites and sound effects and then just replicate them over and over for your entertainment. Hey, we said that these were going to be fun and silly. <laughs> they sure are. Uh this next one I think takes the cake for silly name potentially. Uh, this one is called Zipple. Uh, I played around a lot with this utility on uh, when my parents got uh, their own computer and let me have like the old Mac 2 in my bedroom. I would make Zipples all day. They were replacements for the color icons in your menu bar. Um, at the time, I was on System 7, so that was uh, the Apple menu, the balloon help slash Apple guide menu, and the uh, application menu on the far right. And not only did this let you replace those three icons with static icons of your own, uh, similar to what Kaleidoscope would let you do, but it actually let you make full animations. If you were down to animate, uh, draw out each frame in a small 16 by 16 pixel editor, a lot like the uh, the icon editor in ResEdit, you, it would compile them all together and put this little infinitely looping animation in any of those three spots. Uh, and whatever version I originally got came with a couple artifacts of the time. And by that, I mean different animations where the Apple logo would violently destroy the Windows logo because this was the like 
proud to be on a Mac in the minority and windows is the evil empire. Uh, so I remember those very clearly. The only one I ever remember making that I was proud of, <laughs> this is so silly, but it was a spinning version of that Pepsi logo, the, the ball with a red hemisphere on top and a blue hemisphere on the bottom. And it was basically just, uh, moving the stripe wiggle from left to right, but the effect looked like it, the ball was moving. Right, because you got the infinitely looping yeah, smooth pattern effect. Yeah, I think what they show on a page that we'll link to, like one of the default ones was like a spinning globe. Yeah, stuff like that. So you're looking for something that fits in a nice small space, and if you animate it, something that has a nice smooth pattern repeat. Right, because remember, you only have 16 by 16 pixels to work in. Well, that's actually pretty manageable if you're going to have to do frame-by-frame art, at least limits it a little bit. Yeah, I had never heard of that one. If I had that back then, I'm sure I would have gotten into it the same as icon editing or trying to make a kaleidoscope scheme or anything like that. You're right, though, it, it wins the name award. And we'll link to some of the original documentation for it which includes some some descriptions of its more obvious features and points out how silly the name is. So there's a part in the documentation that says what the on checkbox does. And it says, this controls whether zipple zipples or not. <laughs> so my next pick is one of these that gets more into the hack territory. And this one is called Gravite, which is a pun on the word gravity. And what it does is, I am not sure how they pulled this off, but what it does is it adds physics effects to drag and drop of icons in the finder. And this is a little bit hard to imagine, but if you go to the page that uh, has some information about this app, it shows a little, it's not an animated, but it's a sort of frame by frame, multiple frames laid out of how this looks. And the example is them picking up and dragging the res edit icon. And of course, even today, we're used to drag and drop of files where you you click and drag on a folder and it just sort of stays fixed, floating under the mouse cursor and wherever your cursor goes, it, it goes. But what this did was somehow they actually basically assigned mass to the different parts of the icon and the name of it and then did a real, basically, gravity simulation on it. And there were all sorts of settings that you could tweak with this, but what it meant was if you say you grabbed an icon near the top and just held it still, it would hold still. But if you started moving it back and forth, it would swing back and forth, pinned to the very, like, one-pixel point where your mouse was. And... This was a really cool effect if you always clicked sort of in the top center of an icon. It looked really realistic. The animation was surprisingly smooth. Again, I don't know how they pulled this off in general, just the physics and animation, but then the fact that they were able to, you know, through the magic of classic Mac extensions, were able to actually override any sort of animation that was going on in the finder for any icon move. It was really impressive but it did have times where it could get uh get in the way this was not the kind of thing that you always wanted on 
Because say, for example, you had a folder with a fairly long name and instead of clicking sort of right in the middle of the folder icon, say you clicked towards the left end of the name, well, all of a sudden that would become the pivot point for the icon and the very heavy folder (laughs) would swing completely upside down (laughs) and would just be flying around and you're trying to get it over to wherever you wanted to put it. So it was very interesting. They, They also had they had some settings that were really kind of out there. There was apparently a mode that you could check called free fly, free flight. So you'd have this free flying option. And what that meant was that not only would you get this swaying effect as you moved the icon around until you let go of the mouse and then it would just, you know, snap back into place. But if you actually like got up momentum, <laughs> they were calculating all of this stuff. If you got up momentum with the mouse and then let go while the mouse was still moving, you could throw the icon. And then by holding down a modifier key, you would actually decide when it let go. So like you could have a window on the other side of the screen and hold down, I think it was control, and you could you know, toss the icon towards the window, and if you let go of the key while it was over the window, it would move the file into that window. And if you missed, it would probably land on the desktop. So it's not even display, but it actually overrode some of the file uh, copy and stuff. Or at least it had to directly interact with that logic. Yeah, it overrode all of the drag and drop. So anything that would just be an ordinary sort of translation from you know one point point A to point B in a straight line with no fancy business across your screen, all of it was taken over by Gravite. It all, that also meant in the free flight mode, I think that if you just hung on to something and dropped it, it would go towards the bottom. Like if you didn't throw it at all, it was kind of almost like you you, you wanted a sandbox for it that was you know not the finder. Um, where you could just play around with throwing things would be more fun. <laughs> you know, otherwise, you're like creating new folders and hoping they don't wind up in the wrong place or that you've totally uh, destroyed your file hierarchy just by having, having fun swinging the icons around. Uh, that point is going to come up later in this episode. Oh, that you might actually uh, wind up uh, putting things in the wrong place and destroying them yep. for the sake of uh, a little entertainment? Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, it's on its way. Stay tuned. One other pick that I had that's another one of these sort of hacky tools is called ASCII Mac. And this was actually the winner of the Mac Hack competition in 1998. Uh, were you familiar with this competition? I was not. This is the first I heard of it. Yeah. So it was hosted for several years. Uh, apparently, it started at the University of Michigan. I know for many years it was uh, hosted in Dearborn, which is just outside Detroit. And it was basically a one-day hackathon. And they would bring people in, say, make some cool thing for the Mac. And, you know, usually the crazier the better. And I think the competition ended at midnight, but then that was like pencils down time. Was You know, the, the hackathon was over at midnight, and then everybody presented their projects from like midnight to four in the morning. You know, they would get up in front of the room and actually show them off to the other people at the hackathon, which got up to like 75, 80, 100 entrants towards the end. 
then they would vote on them and go to bed. And then the next day they would announce a winner. So this one called ASCII Mac. I remember trying this out. I think it was probably distributed then on a Mac Addict CD. I think they always distributed the winners of Mac Hack. Like the top three would come out annually. And this was an extension that somehow on the fly converted all of your desktop UI to ASCII art. So all of the windows, the menu bar, any anything that was on screen, uh, the demo that they did that I think won them the award was they opened up a QuickTime movie and started playing it and then activated the ASCII mode and it did real-time conversion of the playing QuickTime movie into into color ASCII art. That's insane. And remember, this is in 1998, so they were probably running on power PCs, but like not super high horsepower. And I think I ran this, so 98, yeah, it would have been on a Power Mac G3 that I would have tested it out on. And it worked. I mean, of course, it made it impossible to do practical work while it was in the all ASCII mode, but it was a super cool hack that they managed to pull off. And I'm still not entirely sure how they did it. You said that both were smooth. That's what really impresses me is that uh, the, both the Gravite and ASCII Mac would like keep up with the refresh rate and not stutter or lag. Like that's just so cool. Right. They were, you know, they were being extremely careful with the use of resources. I think in the Gravite, uh, in the Gravite manual where it explains some of the options, I think there was a quality slider and they say that, you know, on some older Macs, which at that point they probably meant, you know, like an LC or something, um, or Mac 2, um, like that if you bumped up the quality all the way that you might get bad results, like stuttering or bad frame rate. But if you dropped it down, you would still get a nice smooth effect. The last uh, utility we want to talk about that's more in the visual category is probably the most popular one, uh, the one most people are likely to have heard of and used themselves, and it's the screensaver utility known as After Dark. Uh, so this was an actual screensaver. I think a lot of people today think of them as like fun animations or ways to lock your screen, uh, you know, if you step away from your computer at work or a coffee shop. But uh, they were actually designed to save your the hardware of your screen from burn-in, uh, that phenomenon of where you have the same image being displayed on the screen for so long that it ghosts, it becomes kind of permanently, uh, not etched, but it a permanent ghost version of that image will stay on your display. Now about the only place that you see that these days is in like old point-of-sale systems in stores where if someplace is, you know, you, you look at this computer that they're ringing up your order on and you know, it's like 20 some years old and it's got a really old CRT monitor. And sure enough, if you look at it, you'll see that whatever sort of either like the default screen, maybe with the store logo, maybe with a previous store's logo, if they got it secondhand, um, you'll be able to see that faintly, even as they're doing other things on the screen. Yeah, and certain models of plasma TVs were uh, really prone to burn in. So I remember, I think I was checking into a hotel once, and it was clear that there was like a TV 
over the check-in lobby that was always displaying the hotel logo and like a bar for uh, upcoming events in like the, the uh, ballroom. And that was definitely burned in because you could see it when they transitioned to like fun marketing slides. Yeah. And this is, this is an endangered problem. It's going away with, uh, with LCD TVs. Uh, but uh, wasn't it recently on ATP, John Syracuse was lamenting the, uh, the destiny UI, which has some fixed solid elements and like you said, on Plasma, this is still a possible problem. He was starting to get burn in from playing, uh, playing that game too much. So back to After Dark, it was a literal screensaver. When you weren't going to be using your computer, it would either put it to black or have some kind of animation on it so that your screen was always refreshing and there wasn't going to be an element left being displayed on it uh, when it didn't have to be, preventing burn in. It was made by a company called Berkeley Systems and released for the Mac in 1989 and a Windows version a couple of years later. Uh, you probably haven't heard of Berkeley Systems outside of After Dark or their more popular product, You Don't Know Jack, the trivia game, which I also have fond memories of. Uh, Berkeley was acquired by Sierra Online uh, almost a decade later in 1997. And then if you go through their Wikipedia page, they were kind of shuffled around the parent corporation of Sierra in various divisions and uh, never really released anything on their own after that. Yeah, You Don't Know Jack seems to have been published in various ways by about 20 different companies at this point. But I didn't know that it started with them. I didn't know that was the same company. I do remember when You Don't Know Jack was released, and it might have been Mac first. I think so. It was a big hit, at least in the Mac community. I remember like Mac Addict Magazine was always talking about the latest installment of You Don't Know Jack. Anyway, back to the screensavers. <laughs> anyway, uh, After Dark had a bunch of modules, which were basically the different animations that would play when it became activated. And it's probably known for one that we'll discuss in a few minutes, but uh, the first default standard module was called Starry Night. And this would draw a uh, a cityscape at night using uh, yellow pixels to represent the uh, the lights inside the windows of the skyscrapers and then uh, various other colored pixels to represent stars. And then there'd be little bits of motion, like the lights of an airplane going across the sky or the light of a shooting star. And uh, some windows in the cityscape would flicker on, flicker off. And presumably the position of the buildings would change from time to time as well to avoid that burn-in effect. Otherwise, you would wind up having a city skyline over all of your word processing documents, which would just be the exact opposite of what you were hoping for. Exactly. I, I played around with After Dark a lot, and uh, this was one of the ones that I liked for its simplicity, and yet in that simplicity still managing to convey a pretty rich cityscape. Um, so like we said, uh, there are many updates to After Dark, uh, more modules, etc. There were a couple different versions of the software itself released. Uh, one was called More After Dark. One was called Before Dark. Uh, there were a couple modules that were interactive, which, um, you know, the screensaver was usually when you're not going to be using your computer, but it turns out some of the After Dark modules were so fun that people would trigger their screensaver just to play a game or mess around with the, uh, the mechanics of the screensaver. So they released some standalone games called After Dark Games. Uh, there were lots of 
uh, media tie-ins. I think Wikipedia mentioned that there was like a Simpsons After Dark uh, software version that you could buy. Other popular brands and franchises ultimately had their tie-ins too. Um, but to get back to the core After Dark modules, um, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, someone has recreated, I think, the core original set of After Dark modules in simple HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, if you want to go experience what those were. And uh, to briefly go over uh, some of those that I remember fondly, uh, we cannot go any further without discussing the iconic flying toasters. I think this is what people think of when they think of After Dark. I was pretty convinced that the flying toasters were actually the default. And I think they did after a while, once they realized that the flying toasters became their symbol, they were what appeared on the box art and that sort of thing for the After Dark franchise. So if you haven't seen flying toasters... Does what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's what it sounds like. It's isometrically rendered little pop-up toasters with beautiful angel wings on the sides. Uh, the wings are flapping and they're flying through space. And there are also pieces of toast flying alongside them. And I think one of the controls in the control panel was how done you wanted your toast to be, either lightly toasted all the way up to burnt. There was also a module called Lunatic Fringe. Um, and this was one of the modules that was a playable game and later spun off into its own game that you didn't have to be in your screensaver to play. And it was a, a pretty faithful clone of asteroids and maelstrom even at that time where you're a ship flying through an asteroid field. You can get different guns and power-ups and bonuses. Yeah, I just popped this open in the browser and I was like, hang on, is this maelstrom? It feels very similar. The controls are similar. The type of sprite artwork is of the same vintage and looks very similar, but the game itself is a little bit different. I definitely got in trouble at my elementary school by installing this and uh, and playing it because I think the teacher was smart enough to like sweep the applications folder or the, like the the basic uh, folder structure of the hard disk and look for stuff that nefarious kids had brought in on floppies. But she didn't think to look through the screensaver. And since there was no like parental controls on this particular machine, uh, I was able to install the Lunatic Fringe module and keep a game on that computer to play instead of going out for recess because that was the kind of kid I was. <laughs> well, that was the thing was when we were in elementary school at that time, this was when the the scourge of burn-in was, you know, really on everybody's mind. And so you know, whoever was running IT at the school basically said, well, every computer should have a screensaver because we don't want these nice computers to get ruined. And we were basically all Macs in school. And in the Mac community, then, After Dark was synonymous with screensaver. There were no other screensavers. So After Dark got installed on all of these computers. And that was how I remember it, was I never had it on a home computer because we would just turn the monitor off when we were done with it. But these school computers were kind of expected to be on all day. And they didn't want, you know, they wanted to avoid this problem. And so they all had After Dark. And I think many of them were running Starry Night, A, because it was default, and B, because it was just subtle enough that you wouldn't really be distracted by it in any way. 
But if you went over to something like Flying Toasters, that's going to be riotously entertaining to third graders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let alone being able to have an actual game in the screensaver. But since these were all part of the same package, like you said, Brian, there was no way to really separate them out. It was just a question of which one you picked. And if us pesky kids always switched over to Lunatic Fringe, it would be up to the teacher or the IT person to come around and switch it back every time. And the final After Dark module I wrote down to mention here was one called Stormy Night. And this is because uh, After Dark also had the capability of playing sound. Again, it, it's not really something you need for a utility that's just playing simple animations to keep your screen refreshing. Uh, and so I think they had a limited package of sounds with the uh, original modules. And one of them was this pretty awful sound of lightning crashing. And uh, there was a module just called Zot that would render uh, random lightning bolts and play this sound with every one of them. And Stormy Night was, uh, if I recall correctly, kind of like the um, the Starry Night module with the cityscape with some added pixels to represent rain and uh, flashes for lightning and thunder and then the same terrible lightning sound effect. And I'll try and find it here so we can play it for you. I have that sound, this lightning sound, uh, permanently in my brain from having a variety of After Dark modules playing it. Uh, and if I was away from the computer because I truly wasn't using it and After Dark had kicked in, to have the computer kind of bark a, a gritty lightning sound at you was pretty surprising. <laughs> there are all kinds of utilities for the Mac that would play sounds that were surprising or silly and we have a whole category of them here now. And my pick for this, my first pick for this is another one of the all-time classics for the Mac. And it's the talking moose. Again, it does what it says on the tin. The talking moose is a little picture of a moose head that pops up at regular intervals. And it says something to you. And what it says could be, well, I won't say almost anything because it came with a set of canned phrases that it had and it would show the moose face and it would do this in a text-to-speech voice and it would actually animate the mouth of the moose as it said something that was maybe a stupid joke, maybe something that sounded kind of deep and philosophical, or maybe something that was a little bit off-color. I think that there were a couple of Macs in our school system that had talking moose, but again, it was maybe a little bit more adult than um, some of the other utilities, so they might have kept it a bit more hidden. But it was a very early Mac utility. It was released in 1987 for black and white Macs and then updated a little bit since then. And again, like these other utilities that we talked about, Brian, the fact of what they were able to pull off in a convincing fashion at the time. So there's still an entire official Talking Moose website, which we'll link to a page that specifically talks about the original version of Talking Moose and has a download link and instructions for getting it going in an emulator and a demo video with some of the 
quips that it says. And a quote from the creator of it says, what I'm most proud of is the lip synchronization, which the original Talking Moose had in 1987. And when I was first looking back for some videos of this, I saw some really poor quality ones. And maybe I was like looking on my phone and couldn't tell what was going on because it was sort of full-size screen capture shrunk way down. And I just thought that, you know, it kind of popped up on the screen and it went ba 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 you know, just <laughs> mouth movements as it said something. But the fact of the matter is that they were all animated to more or less match the words that were being spoken. And in a way that you would expect of, say, like a cartoon animation, like, you know, for TV cartoon. And I thought, oh, okay, that's because it's got the canned phrases. And you know, 1987, the guy must have gone through and said, I have 100 phrases, and I'll plan out the animation frames for each one of these phrases, right? And then, you know, pick one from the out of the hat, and you get both the sound and the animation, and it plays it nice and smooth, pre pre-programmed, simple. Turns out not, because with the Talking Moose application also came, I believe it was a desk accessory that was called Moose Proof. And that's proof in the sense of like proofread, I guess, because in that little accessory, you could put in arbitrary text and do text to speech spoken by the moose in the moose voice. And, as it shows in this demo video on the site, the mouth movements actually match up with the text-to-speech, which I was pretty surprised by, because I remembered when, basically, the, uh, was it MacTalk voices, the text-to-speech voices, were being further developed in System 7, and then they got a big overhaul in 7.5, I think. They added a lot of new voices, and... Their algorithm got better, and it sounded more convincing, and it wasn't just the Fred voice that sounds like a robot. Um, and I thought that that was when, like, the leaps that made this possible, like, decent text-to-speech at all possible, for one. And then, two, something built on top of that that was visual. It was all there from the original Talking Moose, which is why I'm sure it was so popular in the late 80s, early 90s. It was, again, one of these examples of technology that just seemed like impossibly cool. Um, you mentioned, we will, we'll link to this website, and specifically the page about the original version, but uh, this is still a very actively <laughs> maintained website, and so it goes a little off the rails. The URL is great. It's talkingmoose.ca. Of course it's Canadian. It's a moose. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's this whole site for Talking Moose, and it turns out that the creator of Talking Moose is doing a remake for Windows only, it appears, with a 3D rendered moose with a really creepy non-moose-like grinning mouth. Is it wearing lipstick? It kind of looks like it's wearing lipstick. Is a big, toothy, like, Mr. Potato Head kind of grinning mouth on this moose face. And it has a modern text-to-speech voice. And there's this whole long, long rationale for its existence and why it's wonderful. 
And it falls so in the uncanny valley that I want absolutely no part of it. Again, like you were talking about the eyes earlier, just give me my simple black and white. Call me a simple person. (laughs) (laughs) But the new moose is a little bit frightening. Another character that you could uh, add to your desktop was Oscar the Grouch. Every Mac uh, had a trash can. And who better to spruce up your trash can than Oscar the Grouch? This was a popular extension. Uh, We definitely had it on my family computer. Um, If you had files in the trash and you went to empty the trash, and before the standard uh, dialog box came up that said you have X items in the trash, which takes up this amount of space, are you sure you want to delete them? It would play a little animation of Oscar the Sesame Street Muppet coming out of your stuffed full trash can and waving at you and would play one of two audio clips uh, from Sesame Street. Oh, I love trash. I love it because it's trash. Yeah, so you alluded to this fact, Brian, that apparently... I was guilty of this. There were many households that had young children who loved Sesame Street and also had Max with the Grouch installed. And, well... These young children, of course, wanted to see Oscar all the time because he's such a friendly, adorable Muppet. And so, well, they would need things to put in the trash so that they could empty the trash. And I guess these children must have been just at the age that they would know that you could drag and drop things to the trash, but not quite savvy enough to create new folders. (laughs) So many, many things would wind up in the trash. And of course, on the classic Mac OS you could throw darn near anything in the trash, including some very important things. Basically, like what? You couldn't modify the system suitcase or throw out the finder, but that was about it from the system folder that was off limits. Again, I remember that this was a utility that I first encountered in school. In our elementary school Mac lab, it was a lab full of LCs, And there was the teacher's computer, and then there was one other computer that was a centrist that was up towards the front of the room. And a few of us would use that computer to create some projects that we were doing for class or for extracurricular activities. And we were allowed to go in there and use that computer even while other classes were happening. And we were doing serious work. Like, we were actually working on a proper project for school, but we were managing a lot of media files and always creating new versions of things and having to throw stuff out. And I remember once that I just honestly went to empty the trash just because it was a course of doing normal work on the computer, and the sound was up all the way, and the teacher was giving a demo to a different class in the background and out comes Oscar and I got a death stare (laughs) from her for doing that because we knew that you could suppress the grouch by holding the shift key when you went to empty the trash, which was a nice feature of the utility that it gave you that option specifically for when you didn't want to disturb a room full of 30 people who are supposed to be learning (laughs) with Muppets. Um, But if you forgot it, out came Oscar. 
I have a pick now that sort of builds on the Grouch. This one is audio only, so there are no fun animations. And this is a utility that my family had called Kaboom. What this does is similar to the Grouch, it lets you play sounds when certain Apple events would trigger. And of course, emptying the trash was one Apple event. But there were many others that you could choose from, including on startup. So as soon as the Kaboom control panel loaded about halfway through your startup, it would play whatever sound you had chosen. I think we had chosen some voice that went, ah, <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, it would, of course, let you uh, override your default system beep and do things like moving files, copying files, uh, opening or closing. I don't know if you could do opening or closing windows. It was these Apple event type ones where on shutdown, it would play a sound uh, right after, you know, you would say you would go to the Apple menu and choose shutdown and it would say, are you sure? And you, it would begin the shutdown process and quit all the apps. And then the very last thing, like as the finder shut down, it would play the sound right then. And there was a sound that was a snoring sound effect that we would drop in right then. So it really gave a lot of customization. I think there are some of these similar uh, actions that have actually default sounds now in OS X for things like drag and drop, emptying the trash, copying or moving files. Um, and I don't know, I turn, tend to turn those off now. Same here. Um, and of course, there's no customization there. What What you have is what you get. But it was a very fun little utility. And it came with a whole selection of sounds, like a hundred some sounds that were built in. They were in this proprietary Kaboom sound format, but it also came with a basic audio editor that let you create and save audio files out to either the Kaboom format or to System 7 sounds. So you could use them pretty much on any Mac at that point. You could import the sounds that came with it, or you could record from a microphone. And I know that I created a lot of those, and that was my first introduction to using a basic like waveform audio editor. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was cool to be able to just zoom in on the waveform, see what things were, realize that if you you could apply filters, and that you know if you amplified things too much, that you would cut off the top of the waveform and get distortion, those sort of things. So it was actually a really sort of full fledged program. The range of sounds that it came with. Uh, there were like pop culture references. I think there were a whole bunch of ones taken from I Love Lucy little sound bites um, and some other stock sounds. There's one in Kaboom, it was called Pottery Breaking. And I'll find a copy of this sound because this stock sound, it's one of those that's in like every sound artist's repertoire and it's persisted. It's like the Wilhelm scream. It's this crashing, breaking sound. And I'll be watching TV or something today, and there will be some like new ad that I've never seen. And they have something where something breaks in the background. And you'll hear this, the same sound mixed in the background. You're like, I know that sound. <laughs> I'm sure they, you know, they were not the first to get it, but it associates with me completely straight to kaboom which 
also had this great icon. It was a the icon for the application was uh, like a classic Mac outline, like the Happy Mac icon, except it had big kind of googly eyes, and it was wearing a big pair of red headphones. Some Beats by Dre headphones. They do, they do look like Beats by Dre <laughs> headphones. I'll be honest. <laughs> Little did they know. Um, one other thing that came up when I was searching for some information about Kaboom was this was just complete chance that I found a page on the internet on a spam blogspot blog that has since been shut down, but the Google cache is still available. And apparently the algorithm for this blog was to take names of software products of basically any vintage or era <laughs> and insert them into these sort of procedurally generated fake reviews, all in an effort to, you know, get some good Google juice and get people to click on the page and they would get some, you know, ad view. But the one thing that this this article, quote, article, revealed to me was the full title of Kaboom, because Kaboom had a subtitle. So, to quote this review, there are a lot of products scattered around the world, and Kaboom, more than 150 wild and wacky sounds for your Macintosh, is the better one. <laughs> And every time they give the title, it's the full title, and it's always in all caps, and it's a, at least in bold, and sometimes italic, and sometimes underlined. <laughs> so, they're really good since they offer better and more benefits. However, when they take a look at this product, they will see the world differently. It is because this product is specially crafted for any individual who live in this contemporary era. This will be great for anyone. Young or old, men or women, boys or girls can utilize this product to its maximum level. It is because the component and element within this product have been formulated to match everyone's needs. People will easily get the most benefits of this product by purchasing it. In addition of human brain surveillance, the machine producing kaboom more than 150 wild and wacky sounds for your Macintosh has been undergone many researches and trials. Therefore, it is highly reliable for creating this valuable item. In addition, there will be some bonuses and discounts for those who purchase Kaboom, more than 150 wild and wacky sounds for your Macintosh, in certain number. For those who are willing to receive bonuses and benefits while seeing the progress or development of the product, please follow this link. Hopefully, the author of that piece was a robot whose name is Allard William and has a nice little bio at the bottom of the page, which says, Bot sneered vivaciously that thus they are poroise uncritical gosh and be to that thus are much and vivaciously, etc., etc., etc. Wow. I'd like to learn more about him. <laughs> I know. Some of the best software reviews I've ever read. Oh, man. Uh, I have one more pick that uh, for this for this audio category. Oh, this is a good one to go out on. This is, I, I think one of both of our all-time favorites from a classic Mac developer. Right. And we talked about them a little bit during our Escape Velocity episode because uh, they had made a, a an homage of a game um, on iOS. And that's, of course, Freeverse Software, uh, probably better known for their card game titles like Burning Monkey Solitaire. Uh, but this is an app called Jared, 
a very, very simple application. A very tiny window with a big impact. <laughs> was that its tagline? Because it should have been. No, no, its tagline was Butcher of Song. Oh, right. Yeah, Jared, the Butcher of Song. Uh, yeah, this was an icon, a 32 by 32 icon of a smiley face, and I think four frames of animation in with his mouth in various stages of being open. Unlike the talking moose, it did not match anything. Exactly. I was just going to say that. It just played the, the four frames in like at various speeds of opening and closing to one song, which according to Wikipedia was uh, the two brothers who founded Freeverse Software. Uh, their little brother <laughs> recorded himself singing this traditional Guatemalan song and playing uh, guitar as an accompaniment. And they made, they set his recording to these four frames of a smiley face singing. And it apparently was a gift for their mother on Mother's Day or, or her birthday or something that uh, this smiley face would sing to her in her youngest son's voice. <laughs> no, no offense to Jared Smith. His terrible, terrible voice. And that's probably why it took off. The the novelty of a terrible recording of a song in a in a non-English language. Uh that's you know, it's like a fuzzy recording, his voice isn't great, and it's a goofy looking, pixely smiley face singing to you. A uh, huge cult appeal that spread like wildfire throughout the Mac community and actually lasted as it's as like just that version for a long time. And I think it showed up in a couple uh, pop culture places. I think it may have been in a commercial at one point. Um, just, just that, just what we've told you. Uh, we'll put links to uh, YouTube videos of just <laughs> the program running so you can get a feel for it. We'll also put a couple of links about the, the lore of Jared in the show notes. And one of them says that uh, some people got bored or tired of, of this. I just don't see how. I don't agree. Uh, but Freeverse eventually released two variations on the Jared theme. One was called Jared Choir, which I don't remember how many, but it was up to, let's say, 10 instances of the smiley face sing the same song i see a screenshot with four four okay i know the icon had four maybe it was just four um but uh i think they would pitch or uh pitch shift or maybe time shift uh the recording so each one was slightly different it was the same stupid song but they just played it as a round I remember that made me laugh so hard the first time i listened to it to hear like yeah the round of this terrible <laughs> song recording it was just a cacophony of noise at that point and of course because the original jared song was in spanish it, they would be remiss in not releasing a christmas version featuring feliz navidad mm -hmm. and uh the graphics were updated for this the little smiley faces wearing a santa hat they made the window a little bit bigger to accommodate some christmas lights yep uh, and the lyrics to this are a little more comprehensible because it's a variation on Feliz Navidad, but it's uh, Feliz Navidad in various locations. And then the final one is Feliz Navidad in mis pantalones. <laughs> uh, we also have a, a link to a YouTube video of this app being run. Wasn't there an iOS version of Jared at some point? There was. Uh, I didn't find all the links in time. It may have been pulled from the store at this point, actually, if Freeverse is out of business, uh, but there was an iOS version. There was an OS 10 version. Jared is the, the butcher of song who will succeed on any platform, much like Mist from our previous episode. 
but much, much less serious. Yeah, so Jared was one of the absolute silliest applications that we can remember on the classic Mac, and I think that's a fitting place to conclude for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed these little bite-sized recommendations of silly things from the past of the Mac OS, and we'll put links to all 10 of our fun utility picks on our website at simplebeep.com. Most of these, like we said, have either download links of remakes or recent versions or the original files that you can run under emulation. Many of them were freeware or abandonware, and you can actually go check them out for yourself if you need a little diversion. And I think that we do need a little bit of diversion on our computers these days. I don't have any sort of silly utilities running on my Mac at the moment now. Do you, Brian? No, I don't. I'm actually trying to remember. I think when Dashboard was released as a part of, what was it, Tiger 10.4? Yes, there was sort of a flood of fun and silly Dashboard widgets, like the ball that would bounce around and you had to catch it and all sorts of various little self-contained games and trinkets and so forth. There was kind of a gap before that period, I think. You know, we, we went out on Jared, which was the smiley face that would sing you a terrible song. And sort of after that, I think that all of these sort of fun little things for your computer, quite soon after that, got associated with bad Windows malware and adware where it would be like a hundred free smileys for your computer and they would dance around and they would be silly looking and they would, you know, be running a botnet in the background or something terrible. And so where people were attracted to these at first in the sort of late nineties, when windows malware was really at its worst, people just sort of put up a shield against this stuff. Oh, it looks, it, it looks really fun, but I, I better stay away. Um, you know, even the people who were sort of drawn like a moth to a flame <laughs> to these sort of fun little things, it was like, oh, I, I, I better not. It, it might not be okay. Yeah, actually, uh, you mentioned that uh, the Talking Moose is coming back for Windows specifically in a kind of 3D rendered Uncanny Valley style. And that is like a direct link to that, what was it, Bonzi Buddy, the purple 3D gorilla that was definitely a backdoor for malware on Windows. So I, I could see maybe time just repeats itself and we go through another wave of these again. Or maybe with better security now and better app distribution and people just generally being more savvy, maybe we'll get a nice little wave of fun stuff that is safe and fun for everyone. So like we said, you can find links to all of these on our website Show notes for this episode and all of our episodes are at simplebeep.com slash episodes. You can also find the show on Twitter. We are at simple underscore beep. You can follow us personally on Twitter. I'm at Bisuto, B-S-U-T-O. And I'm at Ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. That's our show for now. And what better way to go out than with a lovely serenade from Jared. Butcher of Song. 
gardenia de plata que me se barata de urres canción. Tu que me viste cantando.